a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. everyone and welcome to another new episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast, the Multiversity Comics Star Wars podcast. Uh, I am your host, Alice W. Castle, and for once, this might be a shock to you, I'm not joined by Brian Salvatore. I've actually roped in another member of the DC3 cast, as well as a host of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast, Zach Wilkerson, because we're going to be talking about the recently wrapped up uh, Star Wars Rebels finale. Um, which aired on Monday. And yeah, how are you doing, Zach? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fairly well, actually. I've, uh, I'm really excited for this episode. I've been wanting to sit down and talk to someone about this finale all week. I've been, other than having to do the five thoughts for the site, I've like tried not to talk about it because I, I don't want to get it out of my system before this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, same. I haven't really had anyone to discuss it with um, other than my wife who's just watched a, a random smattering of episodes, um, just mm-hmm. being being in the room with me and um, just doesn't quite get the same satisfaction from it that I do. So <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it and get, get into it because... Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, so like before we kind of actually deep dive into these, so there's three episodes. It was A Fool's Hope and then two parts of Family Union and A Farewell. Um, I want to ask, like, what was your kind of gut impression on this finale? How do you think they wrapped things up? Um, I, I thought it was spectacular. Um, we might get into this a little bit more, but I was not really expecting for this season to pan out the way it did kind of zooming in with this very small scope conflict. Um, Mm -hmm. I was expecting something, you know, a little grander, perhaps tying into rogue one or one of the major battles of the original trilogy or something. Um, I really didn't know how this season was going to play out. And so when it became clear that they were moving back to the fall again, I was, I was surprised, but in the end, I think it worked perfectly for um, what the show was about and what it kind of set out to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was something that um, I found as well was, you know, the season opened with the big Mandalorian two-parter, which really did kind of tie into the, the wider conflict of the galaxy, and then almost immediately shifted back to just focus on Lothal for most of the rest of the season with only kind of a couple of smatterings of other stuff going on, which was a marked departure from season three, which other than a couple of episodes, I think was almost entirely divorced from what was happening on the thaw. Am I remembering that correctly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Like the majority of uh, season three took place on uh, chopper base with kind of expeditions to other planets and stuff like that. But this felt much more focused, uh, tying into the culmination here in these episodes on Lothal, which I'm kind of glad they did 
because it actually for once made me care about their rebellion on Lothal and kind of feeling like because for most of season two and season three every time they kind of pushed back towards Lothal I was like I don't care about this go back to the Rebel Alliance stuff but the more they kind of pushed towards this finale I actually realized why this planet was so important to these characters which I really appreciated yeah yeah I definitely agree with that um and, and, you know, it was very interesting how, you know, very early on in the season when they moved back toward Lothal, how um, how kind of streamlined the story became. I think prior to the season starting, Dave Filoni had mentioned in an interview that this season was going to be one of the most serialized of the, sh- of the series to date. And it very much was. Those mm-hmm. last, um, I guess, probably like 10 or so episodes really flowed kind of one to the other um, directly, which was really, really nice to see in a, in a Star Wars TV show like that. Mm-hmm. Especially with the the structure of having basically a series of two-parters. Um, it's something that kept coming up on my reviews of, especially this last half of the season, but the entirety of season four is structuring it so that they're telling one story over two episodes gave them what felt like a lot more time to kind of flesh out the stories they were telling each episode. And as you said, kind of let those stories flow into and lift up the stories that they were telling after that. Cause well, like since rebel assault through to this finale, they're all linked together and you can see the kind of dominoes at the end of one, two part knocking into the other which was just magnificent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was. And especially, you know, kind of like you mentioned, once you get into the back half of the season, just how strong the episodes are and how much is happening in each episode. It it was kind of um, overwhelming at times with just how much happened. Yeah, because the, the one thing that I felt about Rebels kind of prior to this season is that I, I, I know it's almost become like an in-joke, uh, especially if you watch uh, Rebels Recon to make fun of people who complain about filler. But there, there did feel like there was a lot of filler episodes. There was a lot of episodes where you kind of got to the end of it and you kind of felt like what was actually happening in this episode other than, you know, Ezra learning that maybe he shouldn't trust, you know, Hondo for the fifth time. Um, but they condensed so much into the season that it felt almost like a completely different show at times. Like it felt like it like leveled up in storytelling qualities so much this episode, uh, this season. Sorry. No. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Um, but even, um, and we'll probably get into this a bit more too, but some of the things that, were once um, probably seen as filler. Um, A few things in particular came out to pay off in some really big ways in these Mm -hmm. last few episodes. Yeah, I certainly wasn't expecting that episode to have, uh, let's say, a massive impact on the finale of the show, because that was, (laughs) uh, for context, uh, I should say... um, much like my my review of the finale, massive spoiler warning. Um, 
not just for the finale of Rebels, but the entire show, and probably Clone Wars as well, just in case. Um, but yeah, the was it a season two episode or a season three episode with uh, Ezra and the massive squids? I believe it was a season two episode. Um, I think it was. I'm I'm almost positive. It was because it was, yeah, episode fifteen of season two, right after um, the Zeb finding the Lissat homeworld. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and sandwiched between that episode and the episode with uh, Cham Syndulla, uh and them hijacking the massive Imperial transport. It was uh, such a weird, what I felt like go nowhere episode that was just, you know, exploring Ezra's empathy powers, also confirming that there are organisms that live in space in the galaxy. And then to tie that into the finale in such a way that they did was masterful. I don't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the the first really unique things that I think Rebels did um, that was carried on later in the series. There was a big emphasis on um, nature and wildlife and more more mystical, um, mm-hmm. almost spiritual type themes, um, and the pergo the pergil. Um, you know, giant space whales that can jump to hyperspace. I think on paper, that idea found, sounds very un-Star Wars. Yeah, um, I think that was something that really kind of bugged me with that kind of episode, is that for as space fantasy as uh, Star Wars is, it always kind of had these touchstones of, like, war films and samurai films and westerns and the introduction of the Pergil was just this really out there science fiction concept that hadn't, other than like maybe some legends kind of concepts, hadn't really been told in like a, I don't want to say serious, but like, like you know this is canon, you know this is going to last kind of setting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But then to to use that to tie into Ezra's like massive level up in character over these past what five six episodes um mm-hmm. to push him into the spotlight of the of the show so much and to really play up his like force empathetic qualities um and also to use them to to take Thrawn out of the picture which i think is an incredibly brave move Yeah, yeah, I think so too. You know, just bringing Thrawn back in the first place was a huge thing for Rebels to do. Um, he's probably the biggest expanded universe um, concept or character to get incorporated into into Rebels, of which there were you know quite a few. And then to have Ezra, um, you know, go up against him and face him in such a meaningful way really works to elevate his character um, in terms of, you know, importance to the the whole mythology and everything. And, and yeah, just all the character development we get with Ezra over the season and especially 
um, from the point um, of Kanan's death on is really, really great. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know about you, but Ezra was always kind of this stickler for me in terms of watching the show mm-hmm. because he always yeah. felt like... He, he was like the the Avatar character for the audience. You know, he was the eyes mm-hmm. through which people experienced the show. And every other episode, they made him learn the same lesson because, you know, it's for kids. There needs to be a moral to it. And it kind of, it kept hitting these same notes that I couldn't see the actual progression of the character for these moments of, but he's already learned this in this other episode. He he knows not to trust Hondo or, you know, Visago, even though he kept falling in with pirates. And it just kept these moments where I could never see the progression of the character until that like safety net of Kanan was pulled out from under him. And then they just, those last six episodes just like pushed him so far uh, in terms of characterization and the way he kind of pushed to lead the rebels on Lothal was something I was actually really impressed by. Yeah, me too. I felt very similarly about Ezra throughout the series. He was usually one of the least interesting characters. You know, his the supporting cast was so um, unique and diverse and interesting in so many ways. And and like you said, Ezra was just kind of this, um, you know, almost dumb kid who just made the same mistakes all the time and never really learned anything. And said you know a lot of goofy things <laughs> at times but um it it it's nice that by the end of the series i felt very fondly mm-hmm. of him um and hope to see more of the character later yeah i i i never thought i would cry for ezra bridger but <laughs> his you know cuz Another reason I kind of, uh, and I, I, I think I've seen a couple people talk about this, um, I kind of held Ezra's existence against the character almost, was I couldn't see a way for him to exist throughout the timeline of the original trilogy without feeling like it's undercutting Luke's importance as, you know, the Chosen One, the Last Jedi, that whole thing. If... Ezra is just kind of in the background being the same character, you know, an orphan farm boy with a wayward master who learns the ways of the force as part of a rebellion, but kind of does it in an unorthodox way. I was like, how do you get this character to the point where he's not just growing up to be the same template character that Luke ended up being by Return of the Jedi? And like I said, the, the way they kind of pushed it towards his empathetic qualities and then bringing him to this moment of sacrifice that gives him a kind of bullet point in history where you you know this is an important moment because it's the moment that, you know, it's a massive victory for the rebellion, but also takes a key Imperial player out of the kind of grand conflict, as well as kind of being a character that we grew to like, sacrificing themselves for the greater good, was, you know, the most Dave Filoni thing I've ever seen in my entire life. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I circling back around to Ezra's place among the, like during the events of the original trilogy, I thought that the way that they, that Filoni and company were able to circumvent that and take him off the board for that, you know, four to five year time period was brilliant mm-hmm. and so well done. Um, but also, you know, talking about comparisons to Luke, it's really interesting how many shades of Return of the Jedi are in the yes. finale um, with Ezra facing the Emperor mm-hmm. and having his own temptation. Uh, that that um, was something I, I did love. It was very Return of the Jedi, but there was also so many moments that felt very Last Jedi to me, um, mm-hmm. especially uh, uh, Ezra taking the the shuttle onto the the star destroyer and basically like surrendering himself i know it's something that luke did but luke surrendered personally to vader whereas um him coming out of the the ship into this belly of the star destroyer and cuffs felt very re landing on snoke's ship in last jedi there was all these little moments especially um uh, because i noticed that when they used the shot in the trailer when ezra's being levitated by the imperial guards it cuts to this shot that's almost identical to one of Ray being tortured by Snoke in Last Jedi. Yes, where he's kind of like <clears throat> reclined yes. in the air, kind of like struggling backward like that. Yes, it's very reminiscent of that. Um, and and even those Imperial Guards um, yeah. who have an armor that I don't necessarily know that we've seen before, it does look kind of similar to, um, I think, the 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 characters in the Crimson Guard comics or Crimson Empire. I'm sorry. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Uh, But also kind of a, you know, blend of the, um, the, the Emperor's guard and then the, um, Snoke's Snoke's guards in the last Jedi. I can't, Uh, um, the Praetorian guard. Guard, That was it. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of a unique, blend there mm-hmm. so yeah a lot of interesting visual callbacks to other films yeah it's, it's really interesting to see how these kind of properties feed into one another i know we saw it with uh rebels and rogue one as they ended up being kind of in production simultaneously but with this and the last jedi because they can't um like interact the same way because they're entirely different parts of the timeline you see those kind of um, intermingling of references and kind of calling back to one another, which is something I love about this era of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, And how many of those like Rogue One traits carried on into this season in an interesting Mm -hmm. way? Um, We kind of learned about this competing program that Thrawn had against Krennic's Death Star mm-hmm. program. Um, I did love the fact and... that I, I know Krennic's idea of the Death Star was meant to be this massive, unwieldy kind of space station that even other Imperials were like, I, I don't know how this could work, even though it's like originally Palpatine's idea. I don't know how this massive construction to work. And Thrawn was like, what if we made like, a really good TIE fighter, though. That'll win us the war. <laughs> yeah, it is, like, the almost exact opposite philosophy mm-hmm. of, you know, of 
of like war and, and weapon crafting or whatever. Um, it was, but I, I loved that. It was like such good world yeah. building, I think, just fleshing out the empire. Um, and I, I did love as this kind of multifaceted threat. Yeah, I, I love the way it also kind of addressed the question of why Thrawn wasn't kind of a part of the Empire during the original trilogy or why it wasn't someone that kind of would have cropped up during that time. Um, A, because, you know, who knows where he is at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, And B, because the idea of the Death Star project wasn't ever something he was interested in. He was, you know, it, it was correct characterization that goes back to Heir to the Empire. He's a Navy man. Like, he is tactical and flexible in a way that having this massed armada of Star Destroyers makes sense for him. Um, as opposed to, like, let's build this one really big gun and float it over to a planet and shoot it, and then float over to another planet and shoot it, which is very Palpatine. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Um, another thing, uh, kind of along the same line, I loved how it was presented that essentially, kind of like the the defeat on the Lothal on Lothal, coupled with the defeat on Scarif, mm-hmm. were really the you know the kind of chain reaction that allowed, uh, that allowed the the for the for the battle of yavin and eventually you know it was kind of the the initial cracks in the empire that allowed the original trilogy yeah it was kind of the the domino effect of with the defeat on scarif you get them losing the death star plans and all those kind of dominoes falling into the battle of yavin but lothal is the first kind of planet that we see them liberate and hold which is a, a another neat thing that i found like I, I didn't know how they'd wrap up all of these loose ends or, or all of these stories going into the original trilogy because when I didn't know how long Rebels was going for, I kept wondering, like, how are these characters going to interact with the original trilogy story without feeling like they're kind of tipping the balance in a certain way? And the idea that they, you know, they liberate this planet that they'd been working at for years and then defended it and then had it as a home, the idea that, like, that's why, you know, Hera only had fits and bursts fighting with the rebels, why, you know, Sabine and Zeb and all these other characters kind of, like, kept to their own corner was something I found genius. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, And, like, kind of like you mentioned, I, I always wondered back when we didn't really know the trajectory of the show, if it would eventually intersect with the original trilogy. And I love how it kind of subverted my expectation by essentially just skipping over Mm -hmm. the entire thing by the end. Um, When we get to the epilogue, we pick up in the aftermath of the Battle of Endor. No, keep going. Oh, that's pretty much all I had to say. Just that we get this really great epilogue. that positions us for potentially more stories with these characters. If it they really to. does. Um, I, I don't want to quite get into that just yet. I think we'll wait until we have our break before we kind of delve into the epilogue and what that could mean for us. One of the things I do want to mention though, we've talked a lot about the, the kind of story beats and kind of the construction of 
the finale so far. One thing I want to really praise is how much effort they clearly put into making these three episodes three of the best episodes we've seen of Rebels. The quality of the animation in these three episodes is, I think, bar none, the best we've seen of the show so far. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I was watching the Rebels Recon for Mm -hmm. these episodes and the animators were talking about how they had more characters on screen than they had ever had before, which gave the episode a very um, full and, you know, almost approaching of of cinematic live action Mm -hmm. quality with just how alive and how, how real it felt, especially I think you really noticed it in the battle um, at the, at their little, at the base where they're kind of tricking um, the governor. Yes, I'm forgetting uh, her name. Price, the the um, battle that's in the Price. Fool's Hope episode. Yes, in Fool's Hope with how many stormtroopers there are running God, around yeah. and just how much is happening on screen. And then again, in the, in the finale, when they're in the mm-hmm. dome, um, it's just so impressive how how full scale they went because I, I think the moment i noticed it and maybe it's just because um having to watch the show in the uk i don't always get the best quality uh i should say not to give away how i actually watch the show um but the the animation on price's facial expressions and her first scene where um she gets the the hologram from, uh, I don't remember his name, Clancy Brown's character, the former governor. Um, uh, Ryder, yes. Uh, Ryder Azadi? Yes. Yes. I think so. That um, sounds right. And I was sitting there going, like, her facial expressions, like, feel so much more well animated in that scene. And it was, again, this feeling that came back to me, like, it feels like they've put a lot of effort and a lot of money into these kind of three episodes just to make them feel so much grander than because the one thing about Rebels is that even at its best moments it didn't have the same kind of production pipeline as Clone Wars where you know George Lucas was reportedly kicking in his own money every episode to kind of boost what they could do animation wise which is why that show looks amazing you know some of the season three stuff still holds up as like cinematic quality animation and you know a cartoon network show um and rebels never really had that they had to really cut down on what they could do on screen and some episodes that became particularly noticeable but this these three episodes were stunning in places yeah yeah i agree it it really was it, it it approached it was the closest that the show ever got to that kind of like clone wars quality mm-hmm. level of quality um but you mentioning price i really wanted to mention how satisfied i kind of was with her character mm-hmm. arc um it was really interesting to have a character on the show that um, just kind of refused to relent uh, to, in her dedication to the to the Empire. We had a lot of characters who kind of turned coat, um, you know, uh, over the course of the show and joined the side of the rebels or, you know, maybe went out. But she was 
you know, kind of stalwart mm-hmm. to the end. And her her death was kind of one of the more, um, I think, like complex and powerful things that happened, considering that this is a, a children's show. Um, showing her going down with the ship in a very um, violent mm-hmm. way kind of is... It's surprising. It was very surprising to see an imperial character who, you know, even in their final moments, remains loyal to this cause that we as the audience see as pure evil. You know, there there is no grey morality surrounding Imperials. They are full on space fascists. And to see a yes. character kind of remain loyal to that and sacrifice themselves for that cause without a hint of, you know, remorse or um, kind of switching sides like we saw with Callus, or, you know, I, I kind of, it's, like, there, there wasn't any kind of mustache-twirling villainy to Price, you know? She wasn't Vader, no. she wasn't Palpatine, she wasn't, like, laughing maniacally as she went down. It was a very stoic end to her character, which is, like you said very complex for a kids show um, which is you know what ostensibly Rebels is and very very intriguing for a villain of her scale even though like we didn't actually get to see a lot of her throughout the show um, what we did see made her I think one of the more interesting characters we've seen since you know Disney's new canon Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, she's kind of like the mid-level management mm-hmm. there, you know, she's um, there over Lothal, but she's answering to Thrawn or, or you know, whoever, whatever um, upper level authority figure is there. And her interactions with Thrawn over the last few episodes were really great, um, starting with her kind of bungling of his production of the Tide Defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, and her having to face the consequences of that, that really set up her, you know, final character arc to um, go into such an interesting place that it did, I think. I wasn't expecting to be as impressed with that character as I was. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those things that I keep, I keep finding with the, the new canon is they keep making these really complex female imperial characters who, even in the face of how blatantly evil the empire is i'm kind of becoming a fan of them it happened so bad with race loan i i am head over heels in love with the character of race loan uh in the aftermath novels and in the a new dawn kind of prequel to rebels and between the thrawn novel by timothy zan and these last two seasons of rebels i i'm a fan of price i i was i i wasn't I wouldn't say I was sad to see her go, but I, I really enjoyed her character arc through through this entire what we saw of her in the saga. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I um I haven't read I've read the first two aftermath books, so I can't speak as much to Sloan. I know there's things that will become more apparent once that, I finish that. That third but... book is buck wild and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome. I'm glad I have something to look forward to there. Cool. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break um, and we will return to talk about the uh, epilogue and what that means for Rebels and Ghost Crew's future after this message. 
Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my wife, bad Dan DiDio impressions, this is bad, what the f***, and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and we're back uh yes like we said just before that message is we're going to be talking about the epilogue to these three um series uh or these three episodes i should say the finale of star wars rebels um i was very impressed in how much they were managed they were able to wrap up in what two three minutes of screen time mm-hmm. there was a lot going on here yeah there, there was. Um, one of my things with Rebels is I'm always when when I would watch the show and especially in episodes that I knew are important, I would be watching the clock, thinking, "Okay, how are they going to wrap this up in a satisfying way?" And I was continually impressed with the show's ability to do incredibly exciting and impressive things in the final two to three minutes of an episode. Yeah, because they, they've they never really had a lot of time to work with. You know, 20-something minutes an episode is not a lot of time, especially when, you know, like, I think the one that I always came, came back to was uh, the Ghost of Geonosis two-parter, where they brought in uh, Saw Gorilla and was that season two mm-hmm. or season three? Season three. Season three, Um, yeah. And I was like, how are they going to tie this into Rogue One? How are they going to tie this into the production of the Death Star and the destruction of uh, Geonosis and the Pestilence stuff? And at a certain point, they just kind of went, well, we can't tie into everything. We're just going to bring in Saw Gerrera. And I kind of, there was this feeling of deflation almost that, you know, you kind of have these massive expectations of what they can cover, but at the end of the day, it's a 20-minute kids' show that can always have these massive ties to the universe outside of the story it's telling in the moment. But this was actually a really good kind of, not just summation of these the lives of these characters that we've seen over four seasons, but a, a potential kind of jumping-off point for more stories to be told. Yeah. Do you, do you want to just like jump in with a play-by-play of where each character ended so, up? I think so, because each one has a really, really fantastic and really interesting moment, because um, if I remember correctly, um, I should have watched these episodes more than once, because um, you see Sabine with her new amazing haircut um, hanging out where Ezra used to hang out with his kind of like tower on Lothal. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and I and I'm almost positive um, that the framing of that scene is mirrors the framing of Ezra looking out to Lothal in the beginning yeah, of the series. I, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, that that does actually ring very familiar, um, and that's where she kind of explains 
you know, the the immediate aftermath of the destruction of the, the massive dome and the way that, you know, the, the ghost crew and the rebellion on the was able to defend from uh, an attack that she said never came. You know, like there was no retaliation on Lothal probably because with removing Thrawn and the death of Price, I wonder if there were just no one really to report back what actually happened on Lothal. Yeah, I, I think that coupled with just the other, all of the other pressure that the Empire was facing from well, like, the I can just imagine this kind of... In the time, in the time yeah, soon Yeah, I can after. just imagine this planet just being kind of swept under the rug, almost. Like, sure, it got entirely mm-hmm. liberated. We lost this incredibly important Grand Admiral, you know, but there's other stuff going on that takes precedent, matters... Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that like the propaganda wing of the empire had, you know, like a field day brushing this mm-hmm. one under the rug, um, just trying to hide that failure. And then we get, uh, so like that actually takes us all the way past the original trilogy because it mentions the, the battle of Endor and the fact that Hera fought in the battle of Endor, um, with commander Rex making it canon yes confirming the yeah making the the canon making it canon that the character that was once known as nick nick sant or sant uh um yeah it's actually rex uh, which i find amazing um not just because of the <laughs> idea that rex then survived the extra what six years to make it the to the battle of endor as an old man mm-hmm. an old man clone um and is still working with the rebellion is my favorite thing but also it's literally just occurring to me that it means that rex was in the same battle that anakin died at and never knew oh, man. i literally that literally just hit me up just like oh wow needs- oh i didn't even think about that those feels <laughs> oh that's gonna sit with me tonight um but yeah, and we also get what I find to be a very interesting inclusion, um, the reveal of Hera and I'm assuming Kanan's son, Jason Sindula. Very heavily implied. Yeah, very heavily implied that it is, um, that Kanan is the father and yeah, Jason, which I've seen is confirmed to be spelled uh, J-A-C-E-N. Yep, confirmed by the official yeah. Star Wars Twitter probably like i feel like this is one of those kind of double-edged swords where it is an homage to jason solo in a way that you kind of hope that legends fans will appreciate but i feel like there's going to be legends fans who see this as salt in the wind Mm -hmm. especially after the reception to the last jedi in some circles true true yeah and and this could very easily be just a um, a very fan servicey moment. We don't know if we will ever see oh, yeah. this character again, um, and and it doesn't preclude them from incorporating some kind of Jason Solo s character yeah. later. Um, I I thought it was a great um, nod though, and that that scene. Um, there's something about that story trope of. Um, losing a significant other but then it being revealed that they that they mm-hmm. had a child that 
Um, it, it's like a, an emotional gut punch for me. That oh, I, I yeah, love that, that, that part. feeling of you know, um, Kanan still lives on through Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and, and I had actually forgotten that there is prior precedent in Dave Filoni's Star Wars work for um, human Twi'lek. Um, yeah, because there was the children the basically clone who defected and started a family with the Twi'lek lady, right? Mm-hmm, God, yeah. I forgot. Like, I I love those episodes, but I forgot like that was how that worked out. Um. Which I, I yeah. guess must mean that uh, Twi'leks and humans aren't that far apart genetically. Otherwise, so, Jason yeah. is kind of screwed for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, um, and we, I completely skipped over. Uh, I got this in the wrong order. We, we finally see um, Zeb bringing his boyfriend Callus back home to meet his family. That that moment was so fun. I think, uh, obviously, of all of the, um, you know, finding out the, the outcomes for all of the characters, Zeb was more of a, mm-hmm. he wasn't a background character, but of the, of the cast, he, was, he wasn't yeah. always at the forefront. Um, but his relationship with Callus throughout the series was one of the, one of the better ones mm-hmm. in the series, I think. Um, and the whole Callus redemption arc was great. And then for him to have that, that moment of like pure redemption where he found that he didn't cause the genocide yeah. of the entire species. Um, I, I love really that. Good. And cause <laughs> they spent a long time teasing the death of Zeb, like that entire generator room mm-hmm. scene felt constructed to have me. I don't know about anyone else. Uh, on edge for the entire thing kind of like there was like eight different moments where I kept expecting this to be where Zeb bites it Um, because after Kanan's death I was kind of expecting anyone to be able to die in this finale which like other than R.I.P. Gregor um, other than Gregor not many actual characters well Price as well actually like on screen died Mm. in this finale which I was very surprised by. Yeah, it was kind of the, the inverse yeah, Rogue actually. One. Um, where it was a natural dies. happy ending. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we we see Hera and Jason and the, the confirmation that her and Rex fought at the Battle of Endor. Uh, Zeb and Callus are visiting Lyrasan. And then the most important moment and all of Rebels, my angel, literal force angel, Ahsoka Tano, and her white priest robe and scepter looking like... <laughs> I don't actually know what. Like, she just stepped out of a renaissance. She's a wizard. She is She's a wizard. almost literally Ahsoka the White. It's... Oh, my God. I I... So I spent what what was the the time gap between the end of season two and a world between worlds? What two years? Um, like, no, like, like in our, universe, like our time. I think two years. Yeah. Oh, oh, our 
our real time. The time yeah, that still I about lived two years. through without my other than Luke Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano is my favorite hands down Star Wars character, and having her fate be in limbo for so long physically hurt me. It was like an active debuff. But it was also just one of the best things that I think Dave Filoni did because he played it up so well with um, all of the teasing oh my God. and the Ahsoka Lives t-shirt. I and... <laughs> I, like, so I watched that entire live stream all weekend and the moment I realized where he changed shirt into the one with the exclamation mark only to change back once people saw it. He is the master troll. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he really is. Um, but, but yeah, let's talk about Ahsoka. Um, I had no idea how they could possibly and... bring her back. Like, I, I ran through so many possible scenarios on her returning or on how they'd kind of uh, follow up her fate on Malachor, and the introduction of the Force Realm, the world between worlds, and the episode literally right before this three-part finale was on a completely other level than anything I could have conceived. Literally no one could have predicted that Ahsoka would come back into the show by having herself yanked out of time from the Mm -hmm. moment she fought Vader. So, like, because that was a moment where all of the individual pieces fell into place so slowly in my mind, where, you know, because I I knew from the off as soon as they showed the mural of the Mortis gods, of the the ones, uh, the Force beings from Mortis, that Dave Filoni had some bullshit going on, because of course he did. Um, I, I knew from that, but like from the entrance to what became the World Between Worlds, to, to Ezra finding, to the way they brought in the different voices from throughout the saga, up to even Kylo Ren and Rey, so was good. unbelievably good. And... The, the the moment where I realized that he was looking at Ahsoka and Vader's fight, I was like, oh God, here it is. This is when you see her die. And I wasn't ready for that. Like that, that was, I was going to be like last Jedi crying in the cinema, like just openly weeping over the credits again. And I was like, I, I'm not ready to watch this. And the moment where he reached through, I think I almost threw my laptop across the room. <laughs> I just, it was a moment I wasn't ready for to accept that she actually like came back, and then just the the way she returned in the end of this episode with Sabine. Oh my god, it was so good. Who also had a f- just fantastic arc. Honestly, the one of the best. Um, yes, one of the one of the best. Yeah. Um especially in season three, um, the development that she got in season three and then with the kind of conclusion of the Mandalore arc early in season four, um, Mm -hmm. and then her relationship with Ezra towards the end of the season, just so good. And the idea of now her and Ahsoka, two of the best characters 
I would say the be- the two best Dave Filoni additions to 100%. The, to the Star Wars universe going yes. off to um, to look and for and Ezra. this is where we say that like this finale for as much as it closes one story on the rebellion on Lothal leaves so much open to be continued in new forms that this these these final shots of like funny story the moment where Sabine picks up Ezra's lightsaber after um his disappearance and uses it to slash open the glass for them to escape I like sent a message to my girlfriend who was watching at the same time as me like oh my god Jedi Sabine please I was like I'm I'm ready for this she doesn't have the dark saber anymore <laughs> let her train to be a Jedi or or something not realizing that what was going to happen five minutes later was she was going to team up with Ahsoka Tano to look for Ezra. I was like, please, for the love of God, give me the lesbian, uh, not lesbian, uh, well, yes, uh, Jedi, Ahsoka, uh, and Sabine at the show. Please give it to me. I'm so ready. Yeah, because, like, as much as um, Sabine and Ezra, like, as close as they were in these episodes, it was never a Mm -hmm. strictly romantic thing. And I think even even Filoni touched on that in the Rebels Recon, that he really just wanted to, yeah, just to have them be friends. Um, Mm -hmm. I I only said lesbian because I was thinking about Sabine's haircut. Yeah. Which is, oh my God. (laughs) It's, It's the best it's ever been. It's, oh my yeah, god. I, so good. Like I said, I had no idea how they could wrap up so much in even the three episodes that we had um, and the way they just condensed so much, both in terms of, as they said, a reunion and a farewell. And these like last few minutes was genuinely masterful. It was a Dave Filoni masterclass. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, thinking about where you know maybe the next series could go, what do you think are the odds that this will? What are the what are you, the odds you think that Filoni will? Pick I this really up hope so. Um, I I don't know. I I don't, I I couldn't put like a, a firm kind of sense on odds other than just pure hope. Uh, I know, because one of the things that uh, (laughs) Fulani talked about before, or like in in terms of like how Rebels came about as a show, was that after the cancellation of Clone Wars, he knew he couldn't let his animation team kind of just disperse into the winds. You know, like he'd found such a good team around himself to work with that he, he wanted to keep going he wanted to to make something new and rebels was birthed out of that and he's talked about ending rebels on their own terms not going so far as to court cancellation by disney or or powers that be but to end that portion of the story on their own terms i have to think that which they definitely did and which they definitely did all credit to them for for coming up with a finale like this I I can't see him letting this team go 
after all of this, you know, after bringing in rebels to keep them together mm-hmm. and then ending this, this part of the story on their own terms, I can't see them dispersing after this. I, I hope there's, there's got to be something in the, in the pipeline. Yeah, I would think so. I, and, you know, thinking about, again, kind of the, um, the underlying factors that led to Rebels being what it was, you know, a desire to distance from the prequels to highlight the original trilogy mm-hmm. because that's what Disney cared about at the time. That's what they thought that the fans would care most about. Um, but now, obviously, we're, you know, deep in the middle of the of the sequel trilogy and everyone is looking towards the, um, you know, the post-Return of the Jedi era. I, I just think it makes so much sense for Filoni to do some kind of interesting blend either with mm-hmm. all new characters or his own characters, his existing characters, or, you know, original trilogy characters, some kind of blend that builds on Clone Wars and Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because one of the things that he's talked really about interesting way. Um, and Rebels Recon a lot is because he learned so much from working with George uh, Lucas, obviously, uh, on Clone Wars, because Lucas was a an executive producer and kind of like a hands-on mentor to him, that he wants to stick around Lucasfilm as much as he can to kind of pass that on to another generation of storytellers. So I, I have to imagine he's ready to kind of... I, I, I would love to see him be the guy to to spearhead stories in the, the post-Return of the... Well, we already have Aftermath, but in, in terms of non-novel stories in the, uh, the post-Return of the Jedi era, that like kind of interim gap between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they've got something brewing up, probably oh, for the uh, the Disney streaming platform um, that's supposed to come out. Speaking next year. of which, do you want to touch on the the news that came out today uh, about? Yeah, so that we, yeah, we know the... that there's a live action series that's planned for Disney's streaming service, whatever form that's going to take, um, and to date. The, the day we were recording this, um, it, it was just announced that John Favreau will be the executive producer and head writer on that series. How do you feel about this? I, I really don't know what to think about it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I generally think fairly well of John Favreau. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first two Iron Man movies, one more than the other, obviously. And um, I've enjoyed a lot of his other work. Um, but just to see what he might do with a a long-form Star Wars mm-hmm. property is... It's really kind of an unknown because, one, we have no mm-hmm. idea what it could be about. It could be about anything, and two, we don't really know what his... He's kind of an unknown quantity for Star Wars, so... Uh, I mean, I'm excited about it. 
I'm excited that there's going to be a live action. I think TV I'm in the show, same place. Like, that, I really don't know. Obviously, I would love to see a live action Star Wars series. Um, and like, it, it's something that I've been hoping for since, like, basically since Marvel and Netflix announced their partnership. This idea that there's places where TV can go that isn't, you know, kind of curtailed to this 22 episode season with generally quite small budgets um where you know star wars probably couldn't work um i i i've i've been really excited for this and i remember hearing so many goddamn stories about what live action so george lucas was trying to work on um i think it was called underworlds or like the the work entail was underworlds and i yeah, I, mm-hmm. I was very excited for what I think that, that, that could right. turn into. Obviously, that ended up being nothing, um, as he never got anything off the ground before uh, Disney bought out Lucasfilm. But the, the idea's always been there that I think it definitely could work. You know, it is really fertile ground for Star Wars, which has always been this serialized story. You know, even the films are built to be film serials. I, I, I think it's a great idea. And I, I went on a massive rant last episode um, about the announcement of the, the Game of Thrones guys being uh, head writers for a new film series. Not just because I'm not a huge fan of their work, but because Lucasfilm has put yet another white guy behind the production of one of their Star Wars series. And this was another blow like that where I'm very, very hopeful that it is not just John Favreau, that there's a much more diverse kind of behind the camera crew going to be working on this. Right. And, you know, maybe I wonder, you know, obviously there's no way of knowing, but there was the, the rumblings a few weeks ago of, of Kathleen Kennedy meeting with um, one of the directors from yeah. The Handmaid's Tale adaptation um you know who knows if that was in regard to this project or another project Mm -hmm. completely um it's just it is kind of mind-boggling just how many different plates are spinning right now and we know nothing about any of and what's even more well is that you know normally i would at least Um, have kind of celebration or you know some kind of comic-con to kind of point to in regards to like oh well you know these are rumblings they're probably looking to announce something at X, but there's no Star Wars celebration this year. Like they've already, they're straight up skipping this year. I don't know what the Star Wars year looks like after Solo comes out. And that's very weird. It is weird. You know, it, you wonder, um, is, is there's no D23 changes. this year either. Um, yeah. We just had, they had the one in Japan, um, but I don't, I don't think, I think the next one in the States is, or in like a, in like a Western country is in 2019, I believe. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's San Diego, obviously, um, but it seems like Dins- mm-hmm. Disney has become increasingly more insular with their announcements, like doing yeah. things at their own branded conferences and things so 
you have to wonder if like maybe they're going to put together some kind of special um, announcement thing or if they'll just release this information piecemeal or yeah I don't know I it's, it's a very weird limbo uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's when are we going to find out know, about it, these it, things it, it's one of those kind of limbos that reminds me of the pre Disney era of Star Wars where things would just kind of happen as they came about you know, there after kind of Revenge of the Sith, you you we didn't have mm-hmm. any more films to kind of look forward to that we knew of. We just kind of were like, well, like I guess they'll make more Star Wars, but we don't know what form that's going to be. And that's that's what this feels like. Is you know, after Solo, who knows what the rest of twenty eighteen brings for Star Wars? We know that Episode Nine isn't coming out until next year um which is that set for a christmas release next year or is that being moved to may i don't remember i want to say that it is set for december still um i think they were toying with yeah the that would release, make sense but i think with the departure of um yeah because they're, they're gonna start I think filming that, that this summer Yeah, so it's 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 going to be interesting to see where, not just yes, where these yeah. ghost crew characters end up, but where Star Wars goes after what two months from now. It's a it's a very strange limbo we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, and then, you know, it kind of you mentioned it feeling like the pre Disney era, but I think in a lot of ways too, it's similar to oh, yeah. the immediate post Disney buyout where that's we also fair. The, that feeling of we getting a new knowing stuff is being worked on, but as a consumer, not knowing what any of it could be is you know normally people would just get about their day jobs, but we're not those kinds of people. There is, there is. Yeah. It's too much to speculate about. One last thing I want to say about the potential for the live action TV show, though, is I feel like that could be an area for one of the best areas to potentially see extended universe characters and concepts introduced in a live action setting. Um, Because, yeah, because the movies for, you know, at least... Mm -hmm. In the context of seven, eight, and nine, that you know, the main Skywalker yeah. saga has been very separated from all of that. Um, I wonder if like the series mm-hmm. and maybe some of these newer movies will kind of open up the doors to those things, connecting to the. the I mean, that's also kind of like things in, in, it's almost a double-edged ways. sword, and it's something that it's a very fine line that I find uh, Rebels walking uh, since the introduction of Thrawn is. In what way does introducing these legends concepts feel like retelling the same stories? If you know what I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, for an example, the mm-hmm. I hate Star Trek Into Darkness with a burning passion, purely because it is a sequel to a fresh right. start reboot of the Star Trek franchise that immediately went into remaking a story we'd already seen. You know, like, it, it had... What are you going to say? Right. Well, and I guess I, I... 
I, I guess I was less mm-hmm. referring to like bringing in legends concepts to like potentially oh, right, 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 seeing yes. like a live action race alone or a something like that. Like things that are mm-hmm. being developed or like seeing Dr. Afra show up or something like that. These characters that exist on the periphery and bringing them to kind of the forefront mainstream consciousness. Mm-hmm. There I, past, like, I, I was kind of in the what if they kind of kept going with bringing back Thrawn and all of a sudden there's a Yuzang Vong TV show kind of like at what point are we just retelling legend stories with you know some <laughs> new characters but no I, I get you that that would be awesome and I know you know Doctor Aphra has been one of the most popular things maybe the most popular thing to come out of uh, Marvel's new tenant with the Star Wars comics. So, kind of the ability to kind of uh, take that mm-hmm. character into new, new realms would certainly be interesting, and goes a long way into that feeling of all of these projects feeling connected. You know, Disney's been big on this idea that the novels, the TV series, the comics, and the films are more intermingled than this like hierarchy of canon that they had prior to Orange, where, like, anything that... Yeah, there was... Oh, my God, I remember trying to G get into... And... <laughs> what was the EU at the time, around, like, 2008, and trying to understand canon hierarchy, and I was just like, and then I'm just going to stick with the movies in Clone Wars. But, yeah, I think <laughs> that might be a good place to wrap up. Do you have any final thoughts on you know finale rebels or or rebels kind of as a whole um i guess just to kind of like close things off i am just very impressed that the rebels finale felt as important and like emotionally satisfying to me as either Force Awakens mm-hmm. or The Last Jedi have, which kind of blew my mind. So yeah, hats off um, to those It's guys something that I mentioned in did. my five thoughts on the finale, but uh, Rebels was a show I kind of had a tenuous relationship with at first, especially after how huge a fan I was of Clone Wars by the time it came to a finish. Rebels felt like a, a massive gear change for me, and it was one that took me like at least until kind of most of the way into season two actually pretty much just the start of season two when they brought back Ahsoka um to really kind of get what the show was giving out um but seeing how much it's grown and evolved since its first season has been amazing and I I would definitely make say that this is one of the kind of definitive outputs of the new canon era like this is as much an entrenched part of the Star Wars lore as any of the films or Clone Wars or novels, what have you. Like Rebels is key to Star Wars at this point. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I think that is a good place to kind of wrap things up. Uh, before we go, let the people know where they can find you on the internet.
Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SirFox89. Um, I don't tweet a ton, but I'm always good for some um, DC3 jokes and jabs or, um, um, you know, obviously I am on Twitter at AliceWCastle, and you can kind of varyingly find me on Multiversity and just kind of roaming the internet where I see fit. Um, but yeah, I believe our next episode, we might be looking at the home release of The Last Jedi and kind of following up on basically what we talked about uh, two episodes ago with our kind of post-film thoughts. Um, we will see you then, and may the force be with you.